0: Hey, thanks for listening to this message, Peter versus Paul, which was originally part of our series, The Church, Men's The Church, and this message was preached downtown Iowa City to City Church on September 26, 2021. One of the scariest things that happened to me was about 10 years ago, we'd moved into this, this house in North Liberty and I wanted to paint the entryway to our home, but the ceilings were really high and I knew I wasn't going to reach it with this, you know, five foot ladder that we had. So I asked my contractor neighbor friend if we could borrow his contractor ladder. And, um, I went out to the garage to get it and take it in the house. And I was just thinking like, oh, ladder, no big deal. I carry ladders all the time. So I get inside, realize that. The way our kitchen's configured with this island countertop in the middle of it, I was not going to be able to maneuver this 8- to 10-foot ladder around that counter in the kitchen unless I lifted it up. So I lift it up, realize how heavy it is, then I realize like, I'm starting to lose balance because it's like swinging from side to side, I, I bump into some glass pendulum lights that are hanging over the, the countertop. You can tell the story's not going to a good place, right? finally get to our entryway with this ladder and i realize like i am losing control it's going like this i need to get it vertical so i i use kind of all the strength i have to get it vertical and i hear this loud crash and it had crashed into this huge glass uh hanging light fixture in our entryway and i was standing right underneath it so all this glass just Comes crashing down and then it came crashing down onto tile. So, like, the noise was just insane and every little piece of glass was just like breaking into thousands of pieces. So, I'm like, oh no, I've got to straighten this out. So, as I'm trying to straighten it out, I lose control again. It hits the light fixture again and more glass comes down. Uh, and so, uh, Mark was gone. We'd put the one year old to bed. Our other two daughters were like downstairs right next to the entryway and they couldn't come up to help because everything was covered in blood or no, in glass, but then, but then everything was covered in blood because I just became aware of the fact that I had all this blood streaming down my face, sopping onto my shirt. And how many of you guys know like head wounds are just the bloodiest wounds? Like you can get a tiny little scratch and have just so much blood from a head wound. Um, so I, I had this uh, little cut on my forehead um, but what I went to the emergency room with afterward, uh, after I was evaluated for concussion, which I had, was kind of this new aversion to wounds in the human body. Like, if, if somebody posts their injury on Facebook, my stomach turns. Like, if you want to show me your owie or your stitches, I'm like, ugh, get away. Like, I have a physical reaction now. Um, but the other thing I was left with was this little cut on my forehead from the glass hitting me right there, and it took some time for this cut to heal, like all cuts do. Uh, and the healing process for my body um, required actually my entire body to, to heal this little cut. It took my heart to pump blood that carried clotting factors up here, and it took the oxygen from my lungs It needed to you know, oxygenate the blood and nutrients from my digestive system that needed to be carried to this wound on my forehead. And in most cases, you know, with the assistance sometimes of medicine or doctors, the body mends the wounds of the body pretty well, doesn't it? And I think it's pretty amazing and pretty magical. Uh, I started a series last week called The Church Mends the Church, but I think I easily could have called it The Body Mends the Body because when we talk about The Church, capital C, I mean, we're talking about the body of Christ. The church of Christ, which includes all believers, like whether in the past or in the present, um, and those who come in the future. Um, Jesus in scripture referred to this collection of believers as Christ's body. And his hands, his feet, his mouth, his ears on the earth. And like the human body, the body of Christ gets wounded too. In particular places and sometimes the body of Christ carries around wounds that are incredibly slow to heal anybody a slow healer I'm a slow healer when it comes to wounds and sometimes once those wounds heal there might even be a scar I told you guys last week um, you might if you want to catch up on this series you can go online um, to our Facebook family group or, or to a podcast a site where we have the sermon but I mentioned last week that my Twitter feed is just full of the stories of people who have been hurt at church or hurt by Christian church communities or Christian leaders and Christian ministries. And if we're not living under a rock, most of us are aware that there are people in Christ's body who've been wounded by Christ's body. How many of you know this, that there are people in Christ's body who've been wounded by Christ's body? Like, yes, you're nodding your heads. And if you're someone who considers yourself a Christian, you might feel like a little embarrassed about that or your heart might hurt for that. Or you might even feel like I'm responsible for being part of the solution to this. Others of you are here today or you might be listening online and maybe you are somebody who's been hurt and you're asking yourself or you've asked yourself before, is it even worth finding a place of connection to Jesus's church? To Jesus's body, is it even worth finding a connection to a local church community because you've experienced maybe the teeth of judgment, or the knives of racism, or uh, the, you know a toxic church culture, or the sting of having your trust broken by a leader or a Christian that you thought you know you could trust? Uh, and if you experienced any of those things, you know you felt pain, and pain begs us to put an end to pain, right? Huh, I don't, some of you have given birth in this room, but we've all seen the movies where the women giving birth are just pleading for anything to put an end to the pain. And sometimes the treatment that people who have been wounded in the church choose is to just remove themselves from the church because maybe there will be less pain um, in order not to feel it anymore. But the thing that I'm I'm like on a soapbox about this right now, that I truly believe the church is meant to, to mend the wounds of the church. So the church as it's meant to be is designed and has the ability to mend the wounds of the church that is right now. Um, that the body of Christ, like through the power of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom, the humility, the nurture of the Holy Spirit, the body of Christ can heal the wounds that have been incurred. And last week, we looked at this vision of Jesus's church in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul was writing a letter to Ephesian Christians, and he was explaining what Jesus is creating his church to look like. A church without spot or wrinkle, a church, you know, without the stains of racism, a church without the stains of sexism, a church uh, without gossip and judgment, um, a church that's totally fully representative of God's character and God's kingdom on the earth. But I also talked about the fact that the church at this time, it sort of exists in this tension between what it is now and what Jesus is continually um, refining it to be. Just as Jesus is refining each of us. Uh, we are, none of us have arrived. None of us fully look like Jesus in our everyday life. If you're a believer. You're in this process of being sanctified, which is this fancy Bible word for becoming more like Jesus in your life as you follow him. And so the church is made up of those people who are not perfect, who will not perfectly represent the heart of God. Um, but the church, as Jesus intends it, when he returns, is to have this glorious body where it's, it's wound free. It's, it's uh, healed up. But in the meantime, I don't think we're at a loss about what to do here. And we can look to scriptures and we can look to the experience of the early church to see how the church then mended the church's wounds and continued to be a light to the world. The good news of the gospel continued to go forth. The problem of the church's wounds, the body of Christ's wounds, it's not new. It's actually as old as the church itself. In fact, Not very many years after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, there were some wounds in the early church. But I think the testimony of their story and their activity uh, shows us how um, we can also be mending members of Christ's church. How each one of us can position ourselves to be members of that mending church. Um, How we can be a part of the body that delivers nutrients and delivers oxygen and clotting factors, if you will, for healing. Uh, So today, I want to look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians in Galatia. Um, This is found in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And in this letter, the Apostle Paul recounts the gospel that he preached to the Galatians. Um, He reminds them of the story of the gospel, but he also tells the story of a wound that was created in the early church and how he went about trying to mend it, trying to heal it. So we're gonna read about this wound that Paul wrote the Ephesians about and how he went about trying to mend it. But first, I just wanna give you some background. Um, You see, the very first apostles were Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The prophecies about the Messiah came to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, through Israelite prophets which were written down in the Israelite scriptures. And so the Jewish people, because they'd inherited um, the the Torah, the law from God, and the prophecies about the coming Messiah, um, they knew that they needed to set themselves apart as worshipers of Yahweh, as God's holy people. And Yahweh was the Hebrew name that was used for God. Um, the The Israelites were taught, you shouldn't imitate the other nations around you that are polytheistic. They have many gods. You shouldn't, uh, embrace, you shouldn't worship created things like idols. You should not participate in child sacrifice to the gods that you worship. Like this is abhorrent to Yahweh. So to s- distinguish themselves from the customs of all the nations around them, uh, as God's holy people, which remember they were not perfect either, but they were trying, right? Sometimes they were trying. Um, the Jewish people practiced something that would make them different. They practiced circumcision so whenever a male uh, baby was born on the eighth day the the baby was circumcised and if a man wanted to convert to Judaism he would need to be circumcised as an adult to signal his inclusion and his belonging in the family of God and so it came as kind of a surprise to Jesus' disciples that Jesus told them not just to preach the gospel to the Jewish people but to go to samaria where there were people who practiced different religions and to go to other places in the earth um, to tell people about the gospel and it came as a great surprise to them that while they were preaching the gospel the holy spirit of god actually um, came upon those gentiles who were hearing the news of the gospel in these powerful supernatural ways and uh and so suddenly they realized, oh, this message of the gospel is not just for Jewish people. It's for Gentiles too. And these Gentiles started turning toward Jesus. Uh, and God knew it was going to be a total paradigm shift for these apostles. Like, it was going to be hard for them to get behind this mission of God. Um, so in order to, to kind of help the apostles, actually the apostle Peter had a vision from God one day, which is recorded in the book of Acts. And God spoke to him, and God said, Peter, you shouldn't call anything that I've made unclean. And the Jewish people called the Gentiles unclean. You know, they ate animals that were unclean. They practiced things that made them unclean. They were not pure. They were not the righteous people of God. And God said to Peter, Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've made. And then right after that, Peter was invited to a Gentile's house who converted and became a follower of Jesus. And it was a lesson, right, to Peter to, to understand God is at work in the Gentiles too. So over time, it became sort of understood by the apostles that, okay, God wants to reach Gentiles too. They're included in the church in this new community that God is creating on the earth. But there's, there was also this sort of basic understanding of, Um, That some of the apostles were just going to like focus their energies on reaching Jewish people, like uh, Peter and James and John, and then some apostles were going to focus on, you know, reaching the Gentiles, like Paul and his teammates Titus and Barnabas. Um, But one day, Peter and his team come to Antioch where Paul was, and even though Peter and his friends had all like mentally and intellectually assented to the idea that. Yes, the Gentiles are included. Um, they don't have to become Jewish. They don't have to be circumcised in order to be part of the family of God. Um, it still didn't alleviate their discomfort about rubbing shoulders with these Gentiles. Like, even though they agreed intellectually, it still didn't make them comfortable. Like, they just, it was ingrained in them that they were not to associate with Gentiles, right? So, um, On top of their discomfort, then, was also this pressure from other Christians who didn't accept the Gentiles, um, who were still arguing, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised. You need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian, basically. And that group of Jews who were arguing for that, uh, scripture calls them the circumcision party. And I just think Kinda of funny, I don't think we'd have anyone join that political party in the United States, but they were the party of the circumcision like. This has to happen. And so here's what happened when these groups got together. I want us to read the, the words of the Apostle Paul as he describes Peter's non-inclusive racist behavior. This is Galatians 2, 11 through 14. Oh, and I should just mention Peter has um, uh, a Greek name uh, which is Peter, and then Cephas is an Aramaic name for Peter. They both mean stone or rock, and Paul refers to him by his Aramaic name. So Paul says, when Cephas, who's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For, certain men came from, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, even my teammate Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew how is it then that you force gentiles to follow jewish customs so essentially what's happening here is that peter had been eating freely with the gentiles until some other dudes showed up who were from the circumcision group who didn't approve of him mingling with the gentiles and so to avoid their judgment because of his fear of what they would say peter this church leader well-respected church leader obviously withdraws and he separates himself from the gentile friends, the people that he'd been breaking bread with and in community with during this time. He rejects them in favor of the Jews, and in so doing, he sets an example for other Jewish Christians to, to segregate themselves from the gentiles because the gentiles were not circumcised. I just want you to imagine for a moment with me that you were a gentile believer. Antioch and the well-respected Apostle Peter has come to visit and you're so excited because you know the Apostle Peter has walked with Jesus the Apostle Peter saw the resurrected Christ um he is perhaps someone you heard preach and when he preached uh, you you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart you knew that God was speaking to you and that Because of Peter's message, you were regenerated in the spirit. You had new life in Christ. Just imagine that Peter, that these Gentiles knew Peter in this way. That in a sense, Peter was kind of like a, you know, a well-respected pastor who just didn't live in their city all the time. Um, And then how devastating it would be, like the psychic wound you would experience if, if Peter comes and embraces you and then all of a sudden shuns you. Like all of a sudden, rejects you. So the Apostle Paul is watching all of this go down, and he can see the impact that Peter's behavior is having on the body of Christ in Antioch. He sees that the most esteemed leader in the entire church of Jesus Christ to this point is creating division and he's causing harm by rejecting his dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul will have none of it. So. He tells the Galatians, Oh no, you don't, Peter. This is what he tells him. He says, You don't get to exercise your freedom from other Jewish laws and Jewish traditions because now you're a Christian, you follow Christ. You don't get to disregard all the Jewish law, but hold the Gentiles to a different standard and act like they should be circumcised. You don't get to do that. And then Paul launches into an explanation as to why this is. In verse 15 and 16, we read, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified in, by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul, who was a formerly a very pious and religious Jew himself, who had believed that what made him righteous before God actually was his good deeds and following the law as closely as he could. And he actually persecuted, who didn't, persecuted people who didn't follow it well. He is now saying to Peter, come on, Peter. We have all had a revelation together that we are unable to make ourselves righteous. In God's eyes nobody can follow the law perfectly we've already recognized this that the only way we can be considered justified or made righteous by God is through our faith in Jesus and because of God's gracious forgiveness of our sins and his gracious love and acceptance of us nobody can get it right with God by performing or doing anything in particular so what business do you have telling the Gentiles they need to follow the law of circumcision. One of the questions, I love Paul. I just think he's just such a renegade sometimes. Um, He's also difficult at times to read. But one of the questions I think that we could be trying to answer as a church community is how the church can mend the church and how we can position ourselves as members of a mending church. And I think we see an example here in Paul's response to Peter, that we might have the opportunity to emulate at some point. First of all, what Paul does is he recognizes what's wrong. He recognizes the harm being done. How many of you already recognize harm that's been done to the body of Christ? We have, right? But then he calls it out. Then he names it. And not only does he name it, but then he confronts the perpetrator of it. He confronts Peter. Now, Jesus taught in the Gospels that if a brother sinned against you, you should go to him privately um, to try to show him his fault, show him where he was in error, uh, and try to win him over, try to maintain relationship, not embarrass him publicly by just announcing this, this brother's sin. Um, and only if he refused to listen to you and continued doing you harm should you involve other people. Um, and that was what Jesus told his disciples. You know, in your one-on-one relationships, this is how you handle conflict. But in this case, you know, Peter is not just sinning against Paul. He's not just sinning against one person. He's actually sinning against an entire church community, an entire people group, against the body of Christ. And so Paul doesn't go to Peter privately to deal with the matter because the damage that was done to the wider community can't be undone unless it's named to the community and repented of to the community. So Paul really steps in as an advocate here in a very public way. And I think, you know, this is this is a big deal. Like this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. But I think you and I will need to discern when it's appropriate to call out something publicly that is doing harm to the body of Christ and when it's a private matter our our motive in recognizing naming and confronting should never be to shame or to destroy a wrongdoer but to give them an opportunity for repentance and maybe peter maybe paul tried to talk privately with peter um, but maybe he didn't get anywhere. Maybe he tried to talk to Peter, hoping Peter would apologize and change his ways. We don't know. Um, one of the reasons I think that uh, podcasts and other media right now are, are being made, I mean, there are some podcast series going around, I mentioned last week, that are identifying harm that has been done at the hands of some very well-known, very notorious um, Christian leaders and Christian ministries One of the reasons I think they're being made for public consumption is because private confrontation has failed to bring any kind of change or stop the harm that's being done. Uh, The body of Christ has been wounded by the Ravi Zachariases and the Mark Driscolls and the Jerry Falwell Juniors. These are public. There are public accounts of of behavior that's come down out that we can see the harm that's been done to members in the body of Christ. And I know some Christians hear these reports and they criticize these journalistic reports as simply gossip. But if, if that's gossip, then Paul telling his story to the Galatians would also be considered gossip. And I don't think anyone's going to call Paul a gossip. I think he's telling this to them to instruct them, to give them something instructive. There's certainly, there are some out there who are going to report salacious news um, for the wrong motives, right? For attention, for their own pleasure. Um, But we can see that the public acknowledgement and the naming of harm that's done can actually be healing and restorative to the part of Christ's body that's been wounded, There's reason to believe, as you look through scriptures, you kind of like search for um, the ways that Paul and Peter talk about each other in other books of the Bible. There's reason to believe that their relationship was mended and that it was restored, although Paul doesn't tell that part of the story to the Galatians. But certainly, I think we'd be reasonable to conclude that Paul's confrontation with Peter was not for the purpose of destroying Peter, but of restoring health to the body uh, and health to Peter honestly. Um, And think about how vindicating and healing it would be if we were one of those believers in that room going, our leader has shunned us. Our leaders rejected us. What is going on? To watch Paul speak up to Peter in front of us, right? We know that when we feel weak, are powerless in an unjust situation. It is so healing. It is so helpful to know we have an advocate, right? So, so to know our pain is seen, the injustice is named, that alone is a step toward healing. When we think about being members of a healing church, it makes sense that there are going to be times that we take those exact steps that Paul took, recognizing, naming, Maybe we won't be able to confront. Maybe we don't have access to the person. Um, Confronting, uh, recognizing, naming, confronting. Um, However, Paul goes a step further than this. And I think the last step Paul takes is really important. In order to combat the harmful message of Peter's actions, Paul gives a theological explanation for how the gospel should inform the situation. So he's correcting Peter, not just because of his own personal preferences, not because of the sensibilities or values of secular culture. He's responding based on the gospel message and what it means for church community, what it means for different people who are going to eat together. It means something. And so he gives an explanation for right conduct that it is in accordance with the truth of the gospel. You should not be putting up dividing walls, Peter, based on, what people, or based on what people do and how they perform and whether they're circumcised or not because the gospel has already told us that everyone who comes to God is accepted by God. Anyone who wants to turn uh, toward Jesus is accepted. So I think as members of a healing church, we need to think about when it is the appropriate time to recognize, name, confront wrongdoing, give an opportunity for the wrongdoer to repent, but also have an understanding of conduct that is and is not in line with the truth of the gospel. When it's right, you know, to say something in front of a group to the wrongdoer, and when it's right to do it privately, we need to lean on the Holy Spirit to, to be able to discern these situations um, and be aware of our own hearts, our own motives, as we see things that are wounding the body of Christ I think it's important to ask ourselves are we following will we follow paul's example for the sake of healing or and because we understand the truth of the gospel uh, it, it, are we doing it for that reason are we doing it for other motives because the gospel that very gospel that that uh, should inform how we live and how how others in the church live that very gospel of repentance, forgiveness, and grace should also inform how we go about naming and confronting the sin of those who create wounds. So if this, if this is something that, that brought up something sensitive for you today, uh, and you've been thinking about this issue, or you've maybe had a past church experience where you've experienced wounding, or you are really struggling because you have people in your lives or you know people in the body of Christ that are wounded, um, why don't you just come up to me and be like, Heather, let's meet for coffee in the next couple weeks. And then I would love to just pray with you and hear your story and talk to you if that's something that you would like. Um, My prayer for us today is that if we are hurting, that we will find healing in the body of Christ and not outside of it, that we will find ourselves connected to a mending church. Um, If you're outraged today, as many of you are, some of you are outraged, some of you watching are outraged, I pray that your righteous anger will be turned into medicine for healing. And if you're hopeless and lonely today, I pray that you know that God is close to the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds whether your wound is from church hurt, whether it's from something else that's happening in your life. That is my prayer for you. So I want to ask you to join me in prayer before Karis um, leads us in the prayer of St. Francis. Father, I thank you for, for you, that you are God with us, that your spirit never leaves us, that we can't go anywhere from your presence. There's no dark place. There's no... Wounded place we can go where you're not already there. I pray for those, Lord, who um, are here or are watching, who are hurting today. Lord, I pray that you would connect them to a church community that heals, that they would be able to experience the body of Christ as it is meant to be. For those who are outraged today, Lord, I I pray that uh, they would have vision for their righteous anger that their righteous anger would um, be submitted to your leading in how they can bring healing and medicine to those who are hurting. And Lord, we think of each person who, for whatever reason, is feeling hopeless today or hurting today. I ask that by your spirit, you would just come around them right now, that they would experience the, the comfort of your presence and that they would know that you are God with them, not just intellectually, but experientially as well. In your name we pray these things. Amen.